0: And um, Pastor Jeremy asked me to teach uh, today and uh, present a synopsis of what I've been teaching in the Adult Sunday School. Um, and uh, it was really daunting when he asked me because it's a seven-week class, and uh, each class we've been 45-minute, packed with historical, religious, uh, geopolitical, um, comparing with the church ages and everything. It was a lot of stuff. And it was overwhelming to how to condense that into one message on a Sunday morning. And uh, it was similar to what I felt last week <laughs> when I saw this when we had the Agape fest, uh, Feast. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't know how to tackle that. There's so much. <laughs> and I had only this much <laughs> to put my food on. and. Uh, I didn't know where to start, where to end, how much was too much, and uh, I usually err on uh, more is less, like uh, my sermon, so do bear with me, it was a tough, tough, tough uh, week. So if you had come to the class, you would have had that, but because you didn't, or some of you didn't, uh, you get this today. (laughs) As you are understanding, the point of the sermon today is to guilt you to come to the Adult Sunday School. <laughs> uh, just kidding, but uh, let's look up to the Lord and uh, let's uh, read the passage in Revelations 1st chapter 9 to 11. It's, uh, it gives us a introduction to the actual passage we're going to be going through. We're going to cover the whole of 2nd and 3rd chapters. In Revelation 1, chapter 9 to 11, it says, uh, let me click, oh yeah, uh, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patient, patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So this book was written by John, but we know right from the beginning, for the first chapter, first was it starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not revelation of John, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and John is asked to write this book. And it was a series of visions he got while he was on exile on the island of Patmos. When we think about island, we usually tend to think Hawaii or something exotic, but not Patmos. It was a, a labor camp where it was tough, tough life, and John was in his ripe old age of maybe 90s or 100s. And he was uh, secluded all by himself, and God was giving him this amazing visions, And he was asked to write as a book of Revelation written to these seven churches in Asia. And these seven churches are in uh, modern-day Turkey. And uh, we know from the Acts series that we're going through in the Sunday sermons, uh, it's a good way to connect these uh, seven letters. Uh, what Paul did while he was in Ephesus for a couple of years, it was around 56 AD by scholars the uh, historians, uh, market that and this letter was written around 95 AD, about 40 years after Paul was ministering in Ephesus. He spent two years annoying Paul, I don't think he's going to sit quietly with the gospel. I'm sure he worked around this area, either himself or with his associates, to share the gospel. And he was instrumental in starting uh, the gospel uh, work. And this is a timeline. And uh, this is the map of uh, the church in Asia. And you can see the loop, the circular loop that uh, uh, it was a postal route that the postman would start from Patmos would make a loop to go to give the book to each of the churches. And when Paul ministered and started the churches, it was still in infancy. It was just founded, and by the time this letter was written, uh, or the book of Revelation was sent to them, it was forty years later. They've already grown up. They've already started to have their own personalities—some good, some bad, some ugly—and we're going to look into all of them and address each of the church. And each of the letters had uh, different parts. It had the character of Jesus Christ uh, started uh, uh, and it borrowed from the vision that John sees in first chapter. And it had the commendation that God saw in each of this church, something good. And it had the uh, condemnation, something bad. And a counsel and correction for each of the church to follow, to repent and come back to him. And also a challenge for overcomers. Who who went through the suffering and persecution and still remained faithful, there was an eternal blessing and eternal promise. With that, let's look at the first uh, uh, church. In Revelation, second chapter, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Another verse, uh, a couple verses down, and six verses said, "But this you have that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate." So this church is laboring; it is service-minded; it is really dedicated. They're faithful, very patient with one another. And they're very discerning. They were checking, making sure the preachers who visited them were really apostles or if they were fakes, fakes or false teachers. And they were good at that. They were sound in doctrine. They got to be sound in the word for them to be able to discern like Bereans were. What can possibly be wrong with this church, right? Everything seems to be so perfect. But Jesus has to say this, nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. They are so perfect in their activities and their ministries, but they have lost their first love. There can be many of us who've been Christians for a long time, who have lived this life uh, doing the Christian things, going to churches, going to meetings or ministries, where we might be away from our first love. We need to check into ourselves. Everything that we need to, uh, we, need, we do for the Lord should come out of love, not out of responsibility. He's called us to have a relationship with him, not a religion. And he says, uh, remember, but therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. And this is the correction or counsel that Jesus is giving to them is, re- remember where you were. And repent of where you have fallen to, and return back to him. And this is a a sobering counsel to us also, if we've been Christians for a long time, to check and see where we stand with the Lord, how our heart condition is. Jesus loved us so much, Romans says, even when we were sinners, even when we were enemies to him, he loved us. He gave his ultimate sacrifice, his life on the cross for our salvation. He deserves our utmost love. Let's look at the second uh, church. I know your works tribulation and poverty but you are rich and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. be faithful until death, and I will give you crown of life. This church is going through tribulation. They're persecuted, but they're persevering. They have stayed faithful to the Lord, in spite of what they're going through. And they're also a poor church. They're not well-to-do. But in God's eyes, they're spiritually rich. God sees things differently than us, right? We look at the outside, but God looks at the inside. And then the city that they live in, there's a synagogue of Satan. Basically, the Jews who were teaming up with the Romans, and they were reporting against the Christians, and the Romans would persecute them, and Jews in the cities, in the Roman cities, were participating in the persecution of the Christians. And God is saying that he knows where they live, where they are. There's the synagogue of Satan. And there's also more suffering coming their way. You would think after so much of suffering, God would give them a break. But God is allowing something. God knows better. In our lives, too, we might be feeling that we're going through so much. We might be thinking we could use some break, but it doesn't come by. God is saying, I know you. I know where you are. I know your situation. And he's in control. God Himself made Himself poor for our salvation. He went through suffering for our salvation. And this is the counsel he gives do not be afraid. Be faithful until the de- until the death, until end. And he's going to give them eternal life, crown of life in eternity. That's the same promise that we have, those who are overcomers and believers. Let's look at the next church, the church in Pergamum, starting in 13th verse. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Man, this is different stage where there was a synagogue of Satan in the previous church. Here there is a throne of Satan. And this, and this is where the Satan dwells. The uh, throne of Satan is basically the Satan is ruling the city. Uh, we could think San Francisco is somewhat like that. But God says, I know where you are, and these church, uh, this, Christians in this church have remained faithful in spite of all the persecution they went through. And uh, the commendation is that in spite of the persecution they went through, God has seen them to be faithful, unlike the other churches that we'll see. The next verse, the 14th verse, it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The first church, the Ephesus, had Nicolaitans, but they were so strong in doctrine, they were really careful to get them out of the church. They were not falling to this false teaching. But this church, on the other hand, have started to compromise in their faith. They have started to tolerate sin and the worldliness and the false teachers are introducing them to the sinfulness. The doctrine of Balaam is, if you cannot curse them, you corrupt them. That's what he did with the Israelites. And this church, uh, Jesus is saying, has started to compromise in their faith by tolerating sin. They have started to come into alliance, an unholy alliance with the world. Each of these churches are really uh, written for these seven churches in this, uh, uh, each of this letter is meant for the seven churches in real cities in Asia. But then uh, scholars have compared them to uh, historical eras in church history. The first church, uh, the Ephesus church, which was a loveless church, was compared to the uh, apostolic church. Right after the apostles passed away, the first and second generation Christians had remained faithful in doing the activities in the ministry, but had starting to dwindle out their love. They, they, they started to lose their love for the Lord. And the second church, which was the Smyrna church, which went through persecution, was, was resembling the era where there was so much of Roman persecution. And this church, the Pergamum church, is uh, at the time when the Roman Emperor Constantine became a nominal Christian and uh, overnight he baptized his whole army and uh, at knife point he converted the pagan temples into uh, churches, pagan priests into Christian clergy and the idols that were in the and chur- those temples, pagan temples became uh, statues of uh, apostles or martyrs or saints that they venerated and the holy festivals became uh, venerated days of these saints church had come into a unholy alliance with the world. Christianity became a state religion and prosperity came in. The Christians who were persecuted became really uh, prosperous in this time. But so did their spiritual life. They started to decline. And God is saying that they are compromising. They are coming into alliance with the world. The next church is Church in Thyatira. Uh, this is uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the slides I had revised, this is not the one I should have sent, I sent you the different older version, but this is the church eras that each of the church represent, and we see in the Ephesus, Myrna, and Pergamum, and let's look at Thyatira. I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience, and as far as As for your works, the last are more than the first. This church is a loving church. They have love that Ephesus didn't have. They lost their love. This church has love. And this church is laboring. They're service-minded. And they're also faithful and loyal to the Lord. And the fourth thing is they're long-suffering. They're patient with one another. And if you see their works have grown from what they were before to what they are now, there's a growing church. You would think this is a perfect church, right? When we look at that, there's loving, loyal, faithful. But let's see what uh, Jesus has to say in 20th and 21st verses. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Wow, Houston, we have a problem. This church seems so perfect in the beginning, but what a devastation. They have allowed this sinful woman who is resembling the wicked, cruel queen of Old Testament times, Queen Jezebel who by uh, the way she killed all the prophets of God and she was feeding this prophets of Baal in her palace and there's somebody of that kind allowed in the church not only allowed they're allowed to preach and this person is seducing the Christian believers into immorality and idolatry this church seems to be like some of these churches that in the present day, if we walk in, it looks like a, a concert hall or a club. And people who are more influenced by Hollywood than by Bible. They have started to compromise in their faith. And in uh, the history, it compares to the time during the medieval ages, the dark ages, it was a thousand-year period where this pope became the supreme leader, and all the rituals were part of the church. And uh, there were separate classes in the church. There was separate laity and separate clergy. And the clergy locked up the Bible. There was no more Bible given to the common person, like we do right now. They didn't have. They forced ignorance in believers. and uh, there were a lot of heresies that came up they were killing and executing anybody who believed in uh, uh salvation through grace they they were indoctrinating people through uh membership or uh salvation through membership or uh, through works and there were all these crusades that were happening in the name of uh religion that was the dark ages of uh the church history And that's what Jesus is saying. This church has started to corrupt themselves. They're not only uh, entered into an alliance with the world, they actually are celebrating anniversaries right now. And the next church is church in Sardis. It says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Unlike the other churches uh, that uh, these letters were written to, they had something good to tell about them. Jesus had something to give a commendation about. But this church has nothing of that sort. Jesus went straight to their condemnation. This, this church has a name as if they are alive. They're very active. There's so much stuff happening. There's so much of noise in the church. People might think there's so much of uh, activity, but Jesus is calling them dead. God is a God uh, who judges the heart not the noise or the activity outside. God is calling this church and Sardis dead in sin. You can see the deterioration in spiritual life of these churches, right? They start to play with sin. They're compromised. And then there's corruption that entered into the church and now this church is dead in sin. It's almost like uh, if you were to be in a room, it's all lighted up, but once you turn off all the lights, it's dark, it's pitch dark, you can't see anything. But if you stay there long enough, you start to see some things in the room. And if you stay long enough, you can actually walk through the room. Sin is like that. We get uh, used to it so quickly. In the beginning, it is... Uh, pretty obvious, but if you don't treat it, if you don't uh, take it out of your life, you st- start getting numb to it, you start getting used to it. Satan is really good at custom-making temptations to our spiritual weaknesses. He doesn't tempt you with murder or robbery or something crazy like that, but he knows our weaknesses, and that's where he's going to hit. And... Uh, Jesus is saying in second verse be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for I have not found your works perfect before God remember therefore now how you have received and heard hold fast and repent therefore if you will not watch I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you Jesus is asking them to be watchful and be vigilant first Peter 5 8 says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour Satan is already is always on work we need to be watchful the lawn that we have in our yard um, I didn't take good care of it for a while and uh, the green luscious grass Pretty soon, started to show some thorns and some weeds and stuff. It's the same thing with our spiritual life. If we let it be and think we can coast, that's what is going to happen. The sin will creep up. We need to be watchful and be vigilant. This church, uh, this uh, city, Sardis, uh, in the history of the city, in its past, uh, not once, but twice it was attacked in the night and was overtaken by the enemy. Because the guards were asleep. They were so confident, they were in a big citadel on top of the city. And Jesus is using that history to challenge this church to say that he's gonna come unannounced. He's gonna come quickly. We need to be vigilant, we need to be watchful. We need to be watchful about what sin comes into our own personal life, or into our families, or into our churches. Each one has a responsibility. And he says, there are still a few names, even in Sardis, in the fourth verse, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. But even in Sardis, in this dead church, there are a few faithful people who have remained walking with the Lord. In spite of all the sin outside and sin inside the church, they're getting pressure from both sides, but they have remained faithful. We could be a few people in, this, in our church, but if we remain faithful, God has mighty things He can do through us. This resembles the time of Reformation where Martin Luther in 1517 AD, he put the 95 Theses on the door of a Catholic church in Germany. And uh, he was uh, protesting against the evil dogmas that were introduced then. And uh, although there was a small group of really good-hearted Protestants, there were also these other secular kings who were coming under the power of the Pope back then, used this opportunity to get themselves independent of the, uh, Pope uh, Papacy's rule, and they started their own state churches. The Church of England is one of them. And uh, there was no true transformation in their hearts. And in that process, there was these Catholic kingdoms and the uh, Protestant kingdoms and the kings that came in series. they were fighting. And there was a lot of blood shed at that time on both sides. There was a lot of death. And that's what signifies this era of uh, dead church, comparing to the history of the church history. And there was a lot of denominations that came out of this era, Church broke into pieces. Going to the next church, Church of Philadelphia. Oh, this era signifies the the dead church, churches are dying, and the churches that were established, now we can see the churches have been turned into mosques in Europe. This is a bar in a hundred year old church in Europe. And this is a skateboard park. and this is a church down the street on Concord Boulevard which is now a Hindu temple when prosperity came into churches churches started to die but in the history we've seen wherever there was persecution it thrived people remained loyal let's see the next church the letter to church in Philadelphia eighth verse it says I know your works See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. This church is a small church, but they have remained significant, they have remained faithful and obedient. We might think it's a small church without much influence, without much finances, or, but that's where they're very faithful. Unlike all these big, rich cities, Sardis, and also the next church we're going to see, Laodicea, was a very prosperous city. And the church was very prosperous. And they, were, they didn't remain faithful to him. And this is the admonishment that they receive. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Jesus is coming quickly. We need to hold fast to our faith. The city's name is called Philadelphia because the king of Pergamum, who uh, built this city, had a loving, faithful, loyal brother. And uh, he built the city in honor of that brother. And they were known to be the city of uh, brotherly love, much like our city of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. But uh, they were really loyal to them. And uh, when I see our church, I really appreciate the brotherly love we have here. When we came in new th- three years ago, we were welcomed. It was so loving. And we, we appreciate all the support we've, re- we've received over the last three years of our journey. We might have differences of opinion or small things, but end of the day, we are a family of God. We may not be blood relatives physically speaking, but we are washed by the same blood of Jesus Christ. In that we are spiritually blood-related. We are our body of Christ. God ordained two important institutions on this Earth. One is a Christian home, the other is the Christian church. And in both places, Satan is always actively attacking. That's why we see broken homes among Christians also, and we see broken churches, churches that are dying and getting ineffective. We need to be careful. We need to be watchful. We need to hold fast to our faith. And this church uh, in Philadelphia resembles the, the missionary movement that happened in the 19th century. We see all the Hudson Taylor, William Carey, Ram Judson from America who went to Burma. You see George Muller. All came in this uh, era. And there was gospel outburst. The next church is the last church. This is church in Laodicea. It's a church that we went through today's class. So bear with me, people who came to the class. We're going to go over this again. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This church was very prosperous, very rich, but they were lacking in passion. They had built a beautiful city all by themselves with their money, but they lacked one thing. They didn't have fresh water, so they had pipes built, they brought hot water from a neighboring city and cold water from another city. And this was mineral-rich water, but by the time it reached to this city, they lost their temperature, became lukewarm. And it was so nauseating to drink. And Jesus is relating to that and saying that he's going to spit, spit them out if they continue to be lukewarm. And he says... Behold, even before that actually, let me read 19th verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Although he gave them a strict condemnation, he was lovingly telling them that it is because he loves them is why he rebukes them and he chastened them. Let's read the 20th verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. What a tragic situation. Jesus Christ is outside the door of the church. He is the head of the church. He needs to be sitting on the throne, controlling and leading the church from within. But this church has completely compromised their faith. They have sent him out. We see that uh, in many of the modern churches that they have removed the authority of Bible, authority of God to cater to the comforts of people. They do not want to talk about judgment or hell or sin. They just want to talk about blessings and healings. God is calling them out. It is so uh, similar to the modern day, present day church. John Stott, uh, a great author and uh, scholar, says this in his book. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century than this. It describes vividly the respectable, sentimental, nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. and so unfortunate the present day Church has come to this. I found a poem that was written by 19th century poet Arthur Gitterman. He was famous for his humorous poems. Um, Let me read this, but it has an important point that it makes. It's called Our New Religion. First, dentistry was painless, then bicycles were chainless, carriages were horseless. And many lost and forceless. Next cookery was fireless, telegraphy was wireless, cigars were nicotineless, and coffee caffeineless. Soon oranges were seedless, the putting green was weedless, the college boy was hatless, the proper diet fatless. New motor roads are dustless, the latest steel is rustless. Our tennis courts are sodless, our new religion godless. And Jesus is saying, He's knocking at the door. And He's waiting. He's waiting for somebody to respond and open the door for Him. He's going to come in and have fellowship. I don't know where each one of you stand, but God is calling each one of us. He's knocking at the door. And whoever overcomes, There is a promise that he has given. In Revelation, he ends the book towards the end in 21, 1 to 7. He says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and i heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of god is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people god himself will be with them and be their god then he who sat on the throne said behold i make all things new and he said to me write these words are true and faithful and he said to me it is done i'm alpha and omega the beginning and the end i'll give of the fountain of the water of life, freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What a blessed promise we have in him. i like to close with this thought. If Jesus was to write a letter to us, what would he write in that what kind of positive things he might see in our lives in our churches what could have negative things be we need to look into ourselves the sobering thought in each of the letters is that he knows our works he knows where we are he knows our circumstances I don't know where you stand I don't know which church you can relate to but God knows your situation God knows your problems. He knows where you are. And God's promise is that He's coming quickly. He has an eternity for us. Let's bow down our eyes in prayer. So that I ask uh, Joe to come up and let's look up to the Lord and listen to His soft uh, voice. If God is uh, convicting you about anything in your life, that you have compromised, that you have let enter into your lives that is causing a problem, I encourage you to confess. Let's look up to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for these letters that we can meditate on. Thank you for the promises you have in the word for eternity for us. Lord, pray for those of us who have something that is causing us From hindering and from coming into your presence, Lord, that we would confess, repent, and return to you. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.